Alternative Radio. Everybody out there in podcast land, this is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. Well, how about that? It's been a minute, hasn't it? I know it's going to be, by the time I release this episode, it's going to be about two months since I released my last episode. And of course, you know, the the, the reasons are, are always the same. I'm not going to hash it out in the opening, but I tell you what, I will share some information, um, personal information on the after party, which is definitely going to happen in this episode because there's a lot that I want to cover on that. But on this episode of the Judo Chop Suey podcast, I am going to bring on the head sensei of the Fresno Judo Club out in Clovis, California. That would be Dr. Larry Sutsui. I bring out Larry on to talk about the American Judo development model and to talk about the United States Judo Federation as he is on the promotion committee of the USJF. Now, I'm sure my foreign listeners out there are about to push that next button on their podcast player. Hold on a second. This is a very, very interesting stuff because I think a lot of what Larry talks about and a lot of what the American Judo Development Model is trying to accomplish for the local instructor and for the national governing body, I think that applies to really every place around the country, because as as I had with my last interview around the country, I meant around the world, or as we discussed in my last interview with Kiyoshi of judo, uh, judofan.com, judo population and, and popularity is going down across the world, and the situation with COVID around the world is not helping at all. Now, I want to be upfront and, and clear about this is that the time of that recording when I made that recording was back in uh, mid-November. So I may make date and time references in that interview that reflects a period of time when I had that interview, uh, which is now coming up on three months ago, which uh, again, my apologies on the delay of the release of this episode. Now, before I get into the interview with Larry Sutsui, I want to talk a couple of things related to judo and uh, well, first things first, I want to talk about the Olympics and I got to say, put me in the camp that really doesn't believe the Olympics are going to happen despite what the IOC is saying and that they are committed to that date. I don't believe that's going to happen. I've been reading reports really over the past couple of months that it turns out, at least in the reports that Japan and, and a large uh, group of Japanese people, the majority of the population, really don't want the Olympics to happen in Tokyo. They, they are taking COVID very seriously, and they just see this. A lot of people see this as a national security risk in a, in a lot of ways, and I, I can't blame them. So I reached out to Kiyoshi of judofan.com because I wanted to get his opinion on it. I've been hearing reports, like I said, sometimes I've seen a few on TV suggesting how the, the Japanese public feels about the event going on. And according to Kiyoshi, uh, the state-run television channel in Japan, NHK, uh, have been saying that the opposition to the Olympics is up to 80%. And in his opinion, it's probably higher in certain areas. So there's a lot of people um, 
not pleased and not excited that the games are going to be happening to begin with because as as it happens with well I, actually I take that back I don't know about the United States but in in Japan the entire country absorbs the costs of those Olympics it's not just Tokyo in the United States I believe it's it's typically the the local municipalities going all the way up to the state level that that absorbs the the majority of the costs for the Olympics, but Kiyoshi has implied has implied to me that it's not just Tokyo uh, bearing the brunt of that cost; it's everybody in the entire country. And when I asked Kiyoshi about this a couple of days ago, he said that the medical workers in Japan haven't even been begun receiving their COVID vaccinations. And in his opinion, since the games are are slated to start in July, he. Ch- he just doesn't see how the games can can start, even though the officials are saying that it's going to happen no matter what. He, he doesn't think it's possible, and quite frankly, neither do I. And you know, here's another thing. Japan is damned if they do and damned if they don't if they hold these Olympics. Because if they hold the Olympics, well, they're not going to be receiving revenues like they would be with the masses of people that come into the country to watch, participate, you know, work, take part in the Olympics. You know, and and just to give it as an example, last night, I'm recording this on February 8th. Last night, my Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. I'm super excited about that, which is why my voice sounds a little bit hoarse right now. However, in the stadium, they had 22,000 people. That was nowhere near capacity, and they did that for social distancing reasons and such like that. And, and... So what I'm trying to say is Florida has relatively lax uh, or relaxed uh, social distancing requirements for an event like the Super Bowl. But I know Japan takes this uh, far more seriously, and I can't imagine that they would allow uh, you know any of these places to be at a, a limited capacity. I just don't see it, not in terms of spectators, especially not with such a large amount of people against the Olympics happening. I feel like officials are going to have to compromise with the general public in this regard. So with no spectators, let's just say, they're not going to be making the millions upon millions of dollars that they need, which means it's going to affect funding for all athletes across all sports. So if they have the games, it's going to affect funding. If they don't have the games, then many, many... (laughs) Really, all the sports federations are going to be impacted with the, with no Olympic money being delegated to them. And of course, that ultimately hurts judo. And here's the thing that just dawned on me, and I'm probably stating the obvious for anybody that competes at a high level, is that this pandemic has essentially impacted the 2024 games as well. Because we've already crept into the next Olympic cycle, and... These athletes just simply haven't been competing, though I, 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 I got to say that I suppose everybody on the world tour is going through the same exact thing. But the, even if they're preparing on their own, you know, in secret gyms and things like that, it, it's still not the same as regularly competing and regularly training at your Olympic training center. And, you know, now with a vaccine rolling out, and which is great and everything, but as soon as the vaccine starts rolling out, here we go again with new strains of coronavirus and things like that. And I, 
I don't know if it's going to end. I don't think it's going to end. I think we're always going to have coronavirus. So I, I think it's just a matter of accepting it, accepting the risks and, and, and moving on. That being said, I I have not been regularly training over the past couple of months simply because I I, I thought that the numbers were coming down, but it really hasn't. And, and that's just not a risk that I'm, I'm willing to take at this time as, as much as that sucks. And it's been a real downer for me, especially the past two or three months it's it's been it's been tough in some ways it's just really disappointing now what wasn't disappointing was seeing the Doha Masters and seeing IJF judo action back on YouTube or Epon TV or whatever it is that you catch uh, judo online it was really nice to see the Doha Masters of of course I did not see every match because of the time zone differences and such and I'm not going to cover all of the matches that I saw. I'm really not even going to go into too much detail uh, on who the winners are and who the losers are. At this point, you know, a, a month after the event, you know, you all can find that online. So I wanted to touch on a couple of things, though. First and foremost, Teddy Renner is back. And not that he's back just on the mats. I mean, he's back. I mean, he looked amazing to me. And the thing is, is that I saw about a week before the Doha Masters, I, I looked on his Instagram. I didn't even recognize who he was. He's gotten so lean. He he looks like an NBA player. You know, I think I remember I joked. I, I can't remember if I joked on the podcast or, or, or with uh, somebody else that back when he came back from his break in 2018 into to the... Montreal Grand Prix, I joked that Teddy Renner looked like he ate Teddy Renner. And at that time, if I were to guess, even at six foot eight, he was about 350 pounds at least. I mean, he did not look like a the typical athletic uh, specimen that I'm used to seeing Teddy Renner being. However, uh, he's really become serious with his, with his nutrition and his training. And I, I got to think he's... He looked to be a slightly under 300 pounds, which for him and his size, that would make him look very lean. And even though in some of his contests, he, he wasn't as sharp as we we're used to seeing him in years past, he certainly looked better than he did when he came back uh, you know, for the Montreal Grand Prix and certainly in last year's Paris Grand Slam. I mean, he... He just looked night and day. I, I, he looked like somebody that was not going to lose another match for the next four years. I mean, that's how good he looked. Now, he ended up de- uh, defeating Inal Tasoev uh, via Shido. Uh, he ended up, Tasoev ended up getting three Shidos in the, in the final match. So, Teddy wins gold on that day. Yeah, I know it's over a month ago, but still. And some of the other performances that stood out to me, just just going by memory here, Noel Vanta End ended up winning his division in the under ninety kilos. Uh, Daria Bilo did did not win her division, in, but it was it's worth noting that she did move back down in weight. She was competing in the under forty eight kilo division. If I recall correctly, it was uh, Krasnicki of Kosovo that ended up winning the under forty eight kilos. Clarice Agbegnenu ended up winning gold. That does not surprise me at all. I think Yoko Ono won her division. Actually, if I recall correctly, there was a on the women's side. There seemed to be a lot of of uh, winners and and top seven places for for the Japanese team. 
at least on the women's side, I don't I don't recall seeing Hifumi Abe or Shohei Ono competing in this uh, in this uh, Doha Masters. Now, there's two other things from a from a local level, at least from from a actually say national level in the United States that I wanted to bring up. A few days ago, I received a message from a friend of mine, Justin Smith, who runs Platte River Judo out of Casper, Wyoming. Now, I met Justin out at JudoCon back in 2019, and he wanted to let all the listeners know, and myself included, that his dojo is hosting the very first P3 training course ever out in, out in his area. Now, P3 stands for, let's see here. The Police Professional Plan, which is a training course uh, created by law enforcement officers for law enforcement officers. And it's my understanding from Justin that my good friend, Tabrin Lee, who I had on as a guest several months back, uh, is is heading this thing. And I guess the general idea is that the um, it's it's a way in a training course to... Teach police effective techniques to gain control of a person, but not necessarily doing this through specific judo techniques. So it's not like it's not like in this course that they're going to teach, you know, fellow law enforcement officers how to do Uchimada, you know, to Ude Garami or something like that. That's not going to happen. And if I were to venture to guess, this is more about teaching people how to use you know certain situations and certain movements to help aid uh, police officers get some people that they are confronting uh, under some semblance of control, which I think is very important because, you know, when I see these terrible videos out there of law enforcement or officers just losing control of a situation, I think a, if they had a good understanding of basic principles in judo, that it could go a long way of, of trying to de-escalate a situation without necessarily resorting to violence. And I think as judoka, we can certainly draw the line between what we do in training and even what we do in competition versus violence. So if any of you out there are interested in making that trip to Wyoming, which is a beautiful state for at least what I'm told and what I've seen in pictures, uh, the P3 is going to be held uh, on between March 8th through 11th, uh, between 8.30 a.m. and 3.30 p.m. every day with 30 minutes for lunch. It's going to be held at the Wyoming Law Enforcement Academy, which is at... Uh, 1556 North Riverbend Drive in Douglas, Wyoming. So yeah, there you go. Now, there's one more thing that I wanted to bring everybody's attention to, and I, I think this is a really good thing. Gary Goltz has been writing articles as of late in Black Belt Magazine covering judo and different topics about judo. Now, yes, it does have an American point of view on things that are specific to judo in the United States, However, Gary, he's a very thoughtful writer, and he, and he knows how to get his points across uh, very clearly. So the name of the blog on Black Belt Magazine, it's called, uh, <laughs> it's called Basically Just Judo. Hmm, I wonder where we've heard that one before. Well, I know that unlike other people, Gary is definitely not putting down Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in any way at all. That, that much is certain. Now, I've been reading... Gary's articles from what he shares on his Facebook to various judo groups. However, I don't know if these articles can be seen just from the Black Belt Magazine website. I don't does 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 Black Belt Magazine even exist like in you know you can actually buy the magazine. I don't know. I know it sounds like a stupid question, 
But, you know, back when I was a kid and I'd see, you know, we would go to the grocery stores when there was no internet and everything. You would just go to the grocery stores. If you wanted to see anything on martial arts, you would just pick up Black Belt magazine and the, and the books and magazine section of my local, whatever, stop and shop or whatever it was back then. A&P. That was a New York City thing. Anyway, well, except when I was a kid, I would get Trans World Skateboarding and... and uh, and Thrasher Magazine. That, that, those were my reads back in the day because that's what I did. But I would thumb through the Black Belt Magazine every once in a while because I always loved seeing pictures of ninjas and ninja stars and and nunchaku and, and uh, bow staffs. I just, I just like seeing people in ninja outfits and throwing stars. That was awesome to me. So I would never actually buy the magazine because money was hard to come by back in 1985. But at least I would thumb through it and then put it back in the wrong place. So yeah, so Gary's writing for Black Belt Magazine. I think that's a really good thing. It gives more exposure to judo and Lord knows we all need it, right? So anyways, I am going to bring on Dr. Larry Sutsui. And as I mentioned before, Larry is the head sensei of the Fresno Judo Club. He is also on the promotion committee of the United States Judo Federation. And he's also a part of uh, the coaching committee on the American Judo Development Model. So I brought Larry on. He had reached out to me. Well, now this is going back back in early November, expressing interest to come on the program to to talk a little bit about this. So I'm like, sure. And by the way, if you if anybody out there is listening to, to this and if you got something that you want to pump out and, and, and share with the Judah community, it, it doesn't matter what country you're from. Just let me know. I'll do it. That's what I'm here for. So anyway, without any further delay, here's Dr. Larry Sutsui. Larry, welcome to the Judo Chop Suey Show. How are you doing today? Doing great. So you had uh, reached out to me probably about two, two or three weeks ago. You wanted to, to come on the show, and, and I thought you, you would be an interesting guest to bring on to discuss some of the things uh, about the American Judo development model and you know, what that has, what the future plans for that are that go beyond maybe the documentation that was released. But before we get into that, can you give the audience a, uh, an introduction on who you are and, you know, where, where you teach or train and a little bit about yourself, a little bio, uh, a little bio information. Sure. I'm uh, Larry Tsutsui. I'm the head instructor of the Fresno Judo Club. Uh, Fresno lo- is located in Central California. Um, Fresno Judo Club's been around since the 1950s. And I've been going to Fresno Judo since the 1970s. I actually started at the Fowler Judo Club uh, in 1970. And I went to Japan with Misty Mamura uh, in 75. And he had told my father that I needed to practice more than two times a week, that he should bring me to Fresno Judo. So uh, at that point, I was practicing at two judo clubs, uh, the Fowler Judo Club and the Fresno Judo Club. And then in the 2000s, at some point, Missy Mamura asked me to uh, take over as the head instructor of Fresno Judo, but he was always there. And so I always felt like, okay, he's the head instructor. I'm just the assistant. Sure. Um, so you know how that works. <laughs> oh, yeah, of, co- of course, of course, definitely. So today, yeah, Fresno Judo, we've grown quite a bit. Uh, on paper, we have 150 members, but active. Before COVID, 
uh, we had 120 members and right now we're practicing. Um, we started uh, Zoom classes and when we were able, we were practicing in the parking lot and then we went indoors when we could, but we you know, had everybody six, uh, six feet apart. And then of, in California, we're back in the purple. So we're back in outdoor judo and, and we're continuing the Zoom classes. So we're pretty lucky and we, we still have good support from our members. Um, it's, you know, as everyone knows, judo is different today, but we're, we're plugging along here. So how are, what is your Zoom class curriculum like? Because I, I've seen uh, quite a number of people try and run classes through, uh, through Zoom. So, and everybody does something a little bit different. What is your objectives with your students through these Zoom classes? So we just want them moving and, you know, we're doing a lot of uh, just physical exercises and then a lot of shadow combing. Um, we're, we're adding uh, the, the pooling bands. Um, and so in the beginning, we had two classes twice a week and we had between 30 and 40 students coming. Nice. And then when we opened up the dojo, some of those students, you know, came to the parking lot and then um, our, our Zoom classes went down to about 30. But I, th I think we're back up to between 30 and 40 and then uh, in our parking lot last night, I think we had um, about 15 kids in the first class and about 20 people in the second class working out in the parking lot. And it's, it's sort of the same thing. We're, we're doing a lot of exercises spaced out apart, a lot of shadow chikomi. And then again, we have pulling bands um, that we're, we're uh, using. Uh, we have one instructor who's a physical therapist and, and we asked him if he could you know, get some TheraBands for us. And Yeah, those and, are great. Uh, he, was, he was very kind and he donated and, you know, we, we gave all those out and then we ended up needing more. And we're actually on our third round of ordering those bands because it's working so well. That's fantastic to hear. Now, when was the last time anybody in your club did physical contact judo? And I ask this because, you, I mean, we live in a very large country. We have very different dynamics on how each state is dealing with COVID. It's my impression that California is among one of the strictest states in the nation. So have anybody been able to do contact judo at all in, in the past nine months, really since March? Uh, no, that's wow. pretty much when we when we had to close um, March of this year. Um, <clears throat> so I know, you know, in our area in, in Central California, we're the only club that's doing something. Um, the other clubs are pretty much uh, closed right now. Your role, um, I want to talk a little bit about the American judo development. Before we get into that, was, would, were you going to add something to there? I apologize if I cut you off. No, you're fine. Okay, <laughs> you're, just, just, you're just making sure. Um, actually, before I get into the American judo development model topics, can you tell me a little bit about your history with judo in the United States? And, and I, I ask this because... Even be long before I've done this podcast, I've actually heard of you all the way out in the east coast of Florida over here. So I've always had the impression that you've been, you know, a member of the judo community with, with some uh, with some high regard. 
do you serve in any capacity in the national governing bar- bodies apart from the uh, what you're doing with the American Judo Development Model? Yeah, my position with the United States Judo Federation is I'm the uh, chair of the Coach Development Committee. And then there's also, we started, it's called the Five Star Dojo Program. And I'm the chair of that, but I'm turning that over to my daughter because she does all the work and I get the credit. But <laughs> I just decided, well, you might as well be the chairman because I'm not doing anything. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, but, but my main job is, is coach certification. And so in, with USGF, uh, our coach certification, it's an online program. And so it's, it's still active and we're still certifying coaches. And so with COVID, what I started doing, you know, people were, uh, as this has been going on and on uh, towards the end of the summer, I just decided I'm, instead of a two-year certification, I made it to the end of 2022 because there's no activities for coaches. And so even now, I think if someone's going to certify with USGF, I'm going to tack on an extra three months because we're, we're not able to use the certification. We're not coaching on the mat, but people are still uh, getting online and, and certifying. So it's really good. Now, when you say that people are getting online and certifying, are they getting online and, and taking a quiz of sorts or taking an online course? And then at the end, that there's some kind of a quiz yeah, so they register online, and then um, we have uh, the, our manual was written by Hayward Nishioka. You know, he's a ninth down from Nanka, and it's the coaching manual. And so basically after you register or pay your fee, uh, the national office mails you the manual, and then you can do the uh, online examination uh, that has questions you know, based on, on uh, the chapters in the manual. And if somebody were to pass the course, I'm just trying to understand this because I'm not part of the USJF. If somebody passes the course, is there an in-person portion? It, that seems to be the, the impression that I got. So we used to have an in-person in portion. Um, and so USJF also has what we had was master coaches. And you know the master coaches were able to put on seminars locally for their uh, local judo clubs but we're sort of you know it's a changing world where especially the younger people they want to do things online and and uh luckily for us uh hayward nishok and mitch palacio had the foresight to create this online uh portion of it so in the transition there was live and there was the online but now we're just transitioning to online and you know again it's it's the manual and then you do the questions online and i get a notification that somebody uh, answered the questions and i have to go online and and check their scores and let them know if they passed or didn't pass and then um, once they pass we'll uh, issue a certificate and badge coach badge for them now what does the certificate and coach badge entitle to you i would venture to guess that that means that you would be allowed to be to to represent your athlete on the side of the mat as a coach. Uh, I would venture to guess that's it. Is that the case? Is there, is there other things that, that, that signifies being, being certified as a coach by the USJF? Yeah, so the coach certification, that, that's what it's for, is allowing you to coach mat side. So from the local level to the national level. 
And with the uh, American Judo Alliance agreement, part of that was uh, reciprocity among the uh, organizations allowing coaches from each organization to coach uh, at, at each other's uh, events. And that was a big deal with USA Judo because before to coach at a USA Judo, like the Junior Olympics, their tournament, uh, you had to be a USA Judo certified coach. Well, with the American Judo Alliance, you can be a USJA or a USGF certified coach and coach at their events now. So the thing that it limits us is that you can't coach internationally. So like they had the tournament in Guadalajara, uh, you're required to be a USA Judo coach for an international tournament because that's under uh, the Pan American Confederation and IJF. That's right, right. Okay, that, that makes sense. I thought that might have been the case. I did forget about the reciprocity with uh, uh, the American uh, Judo Alliance. Judo Alliance, is that correct? Do I got that right? Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I do remember covering that many years ago, probably back in, uh, in 2018. Um, so, and, and out of that came the uh, American judo development model. Now, it seems like it's taken a long time to get, to get put together and stuff. I, I know it must be very difficult to get so many people from, from different areas in, in different parts of the countries with you know, different roles and responsibilities. Can you talk a little, a little bit about that process and, and what that might have looked like uh, from, from your position, just, just how things kind of came into place? Sure. So, you know, the original um, athlete development models, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee wants all national governing bodies to have an athlete development model. And the reason for that is, in sports, uh, kids, the participation in sports is dropping in all sports except for three. And so uh, the athlete development model was big in Canada and it's spreading around the world. I, I understand even in Germany, they're using a, uh, an athlete development model, but uh, the US OPC wants all sports in the US to have this model because they're saying, where are our athletes gonna come from for the future? We need to do something to help all sports. And so uh, judo, be, with the American Judo Alliance, that sort of opened up having all three organizations working together for this uh, uh, program. And I think one of the biggest things people don't understand is there's the AJDM document, which there was a AJDM committee they started working on that in 2018. And when they completed the document, then my committee was activated and, and my committee is the coach task force. And so the coach task force were the next part of the uh, AJDM program. Uh, and so there's actually four parts to this. There's the American Judo Development Model document. There's the Foundations of Coaching, which is the online program for $30. And that program, it's a coaching program. When we saw it in Colorado Springs, um, it was actually designed for USA Sailing. And so part of what the coach uh, task force did was we had to modify that for judo. So that was sure. one thing, uh, was, was making some changes to 
the, the pictures and some of the wording and the resources to make it more judo specific. But the overall program is, it is a coaching program uh, for, for anyone, you know, it's just good coaching principles for any sport, but we were able to modify it. And so that took us a while. We had a, we had a deadline of um, uh, December 31st last year to get that done because of uh, funding. Uh, so that was one part of it. And the next part of our group is the live seminar. And the live seminar is how do we teach judo um, so that people will want to stay in judo and stay in judo for life. So the, the biggest goal is uh, retention, um, growing judo. How are we going to grow judo in the United States? And the example I always talk about is uh, when we had our meetings, the representative from USA Boxing, he told us the story of, you know, how an eight-year-old goes to boxing on the third session. He gets punched in the nose. He has a bloody nose. He's crying and he quits boxing. And he says, well, that's boxing, you know, and, and the kid, it, it, it's just, well, that boxing wasn't for that kid. And I think a lot of times judo instructors, we do that too, is, you know, I agree. We're throwing someone too hard too soon, and they quit. And we are, you know, we don't think it was our fault. We think, well, that child wasn't judo wasn't for that child, you know. And and really, we have to look at it from a different perspective. Of, well, wait a minute, maybe it's us, not them. And how are we going to change things to make judo uh, grow? You know, because. The reality is <clears throat> judo hasn't been growing. You know, I know, especially in the USGF, we've been stagnant at 10,000 members for years and years and years. Sure. And every judo club gets new members. But, you know, in a year or two, your numbers haven't grown. We're losing them just as fast as we gain them. So there's, you know, and, and, and this is happening not just in judo, but in, in a lot of sports. Like I said, all sports but three are losing uh, participants. And so that's why the uh, USOPC is saying, well, you got to have this athlete development model to change things. And so uh, another example was USA Archery, the representative from them said, you know, these archery coaches want their athletes to shoot 500 arrows a day every day. And they're ending up with repetitive stress injuries. And, yeah, right. You know, you, you need to have them doing other things that will keep them in shape. And, and so, <clears throat> so what, we, what we're looking at on the live seminars, okay, let's have a system to teach judo that's gonna teach it in a way that we're not gonna lose, you know, not only from children, but through adults. Um, and, and so that's the live seminar. And the, the fourth part of the uh, American Judo Development Model is we, we're calling it resources. And if you go to the website, um, we're trying to build um, a library of different things where anyone can go to, parents, coaches, judo players, and see resources to be a better judo player, to be a better coach, you know, to understand judo better. Um, <clears throat> and so we're actually asking uh, people, you know, to contribute because uh, we, we can't, our little committee, you know, there's so much out there. Sure, of and course. there's a right. lot of good stuff out there. 
And so if you go to the website there, I think there's a notice there asking, hey, if you have anything you want to share or if you have any questions, you know, let us know. Um, you know, we, we're, we're, this is just the beginning. And, uh, you know, all three organizations, we, we want to improve judo, we want judo to grow, but it's going to take everybody. You know, you, you brought up a, a, an example, and, and it, it's one that I've kind of seen for myself in judo clubs. You, you brought up the example about the boxing coach, and I, I've seen that kind of approach uh, in judo myself. In fact, I would say my first club was very much like that. But when I started judo, it, there was no way you were going to get me off the mat. I, I knew it was something that I, that I loved that I knew I would love doing. And I absolutely was right about that. However, I was, I was kind of the exception to, it didn't matter what happened to me on the mats. I was coming back the next day. How do you think it's possible to change that kind of a a coach or an environment that, that has that kind of mindset towards judo? Because for me, I, I think because I was the exception in taking that kind of just repeated punishment, I think there's there's a lot of people that that gets turned off by that. Do you, do you think it's possible to change that within the judo community in this country, just just as a as a general whole? You, I mean, do you think you could reach out and influence people in that way? Um, you know, the the another name for this athlete development model is long-term athlete development model. And because, you know, we know that people aren't going to just automatically go, hey, this is great. Let's change because yeah. change is very difficult. You know, it, change makes people uncomfortable. And, you know, I think especially in judo, it's, well, this is the way I learned it. So it's the way I teach it, you know. Um, I think I think today one of the things uh, that's different is, is the internet, YouTube, you know, people, so many people are, are looking at YouTube and, and are trying to learn judo, learn new techniques. And, you know, that's sort of scary, uh, especially when you get a beginner who wants to do Uchimata, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's a disaster waiting to happen. And I think, you know, we have to change the mindset of these instructors, but it's going to take time. And, and, you know, it, it's, it really has to do with um, instructors, people who want to, to do, you have to want to change. You have to want to improve your program. You know, if you're looking at it as, well, I know everything, um, so I don't need any help, I, you know, we're in trouble. So is, is Fresno Judo Club a full-time club? Is, is the, so you, you're a chiropractor, but does anybody run that club as you know as an everyday thing are there classes in the in the mornings and the afternoons um everything's in the evening except for sunday is a morning practice okay and so on monday wednesdays the umamura brothers run that practice and it's part of the fresno state uh, team and our advanced kids go with them on monday wednesdays tuesday thursdays um the kids class, um, our younger instructors run it. My, a couple of my daughters are there and some other instructors. I show up and just stand there and, 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 you know, just stand on the edge of the mat and watch them. And then the advanced class, I, I, oh, actually we have a, 
adult beginner class and I run that and then our advanced class, either I'll let the younger instructors run it or I'll run it or, um, and then on Fridays we have what's called open mat. And so the Emerald brothers and I, whoever shows up, we're all there to, to run that program. And so our Friday night practices, we have open to anybody. Anybody can come visit us and, and train. And, and then Sunday mornings, um, so Miss Steve Murray used to run the Sunday morning practice. And just to tell you a little story of why he did that, he used to tell us the reason he practices Sunday mornings is because San Jose State doesn't. And his goal was always to beat San Jose State. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that was our, that's where our Sunday morning practices came from. But now one of our young, younger instructors, he, he runs that practice and, and so, you know, that's one of the things for all judo clubs. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Don't, don't so, worry about yeah. it. So, so one of the things all judo clubs, I think, really need to do is groom the young people to teach and instruct. You know, it's, if I were to walk away from Fresno Judo, we would be, we would be fine. We have, you know, we've, we've taught our instructors. They've, you know, it, it was sort of the way when Misty Murmura was running the club, I would say, Sensei, can we do this? And he, he would always tell me yes. And he'd be, Sensei, can, can we do this? And then, you know, just over time, he gradually let me do more and more things. And so I'm doing the same thing with my young instructors. And, and either I'm telling them, hey, go do this, or I'll say, what do you want to do? And, you know, and I'll observe. And when I was teaching with Misty Murmura, he used to sit on the edge of the mat in a chair. And if I was teaching something and he stood up, I was like, uh-oh, I did something wrong. <laughs> and he'd come and say, his, correct me, basically. <laughs> and so it's the same way. You know, I sort of stand back, let the young instructors do it. And then sometimes I'll, I'll tweak what they're doing. But, you know, they're, they're really good. And that's what we have to do. So, but Fresno Judo, we're, we're all volunteers. Uh, we're doing it because we love the sport. And, you know, Mr. Murmura was our role model. He he was like a second father to me. Um, and, you know, he, like I said, he he had judo practices six days a week. Since we are on the topic of, of coaching here, do you feel there's enough coaches in judo in the United States as a whole? I don't think that oh so i should ask do you think there is enough coaches in the united states right now to support this development model i think we all know there's certain areas of the united states that there are a lot of judo people and there are certain areas of the united states that there aren't very many judo people and so you know the in the big picture no there aren't enough coaches um we need more judo coaches and, and, you know, and we need more judo clubs to let go of their younger instructors and let them go off and start their own programs. That's fu um, it's funny. You say that, you know, I don't, for, for those listening, it's, it's uh, November 25th. I just released my latest episode, uh, episode 84. And I, I actually brought that up a bit. I'm not sure if you're aware, but the, the United States Judo Association um, recently changed their guidelines for promotion, and they're they're now 
you, no, people don't no longer have to travel long distances to see a certified rank examiner. And I, I think that's a, I think that's a good thing overall, but I had openly questioned myself, you know, does that, could that system potentially uh, create a situation where younger students feel a sense of loyalty to the senseis that promoted them? And I, I just thought it was interesting that you brought up that because uh, I, I agree that I think some senseis need to allow their younger students to open up their own clubs and not allow in the sense of permission, but maybe give their blessing of sorts. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard for some of these older senseis to let go. And I, I could probably say, you know, maybe 20 years ago, I might've been that way a little bit too, is, is, you know, what are you doing? You don't know anything, mm -hmm. you know, but, but like I said, I, I, I've been uh, changing and, you know, I want our club to grow um, and I can't do it by myself. I have to have, you know, if it weren't for my young instructors um, and I, I don't know if you know, but uh, I, I have eight kids and out of the eight, four are black belts and three are still active. And, uh, nice. you know, it, it was with their help that Fresno Judo really took off. I mean, they're the ones running our zoom class and they're the ones running our parking lot practices um, with, with some other younger instructors and i i come and i i i stand there <laughs> sometimes yeah. i make comments but you know right now um they're they're really running the show for us and especially on zoom you know it's 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 a different tool um my one daughter uh, she was a school teacher and she was using Zoom to teach her fourth grade class. And so it was easy for her to transition to doing it for judo. And I, I don't know if you've seen, she's been, uh, she's done three sessions for USGF to teach other instructors around the country, you know, how to do Zoom and give them some ideas. And she did that with a, a man from uh, Sawtell uh, Judo down South and, and they've been doing Zoom classes. And so they, they, put on three sessions to share their ideas and, and help people, you know, because it's, it's a different world. And we, if we want judo to keep going today, that's, we got to do what we got to do. Of course. I, I hear you there. So I want to start diving in a little bit with some of my questions with regards to the American judo development model. How did you get involved with this project was was this just because you were already involved in your role as as the uh i apologize like the the the, the coaching chair the um yes well I'm, I'm the coach development chair coaching development um, chair okay <clears throat> two years ago at the san jose buddhist tournament uh the usdf president mark maranaka was there and he saw me and he said i need to talk to you and it started from there <laughs> just the conversation he, he told me yeah. yeah he told me what it was about and and uh you know asked me if, if i would participate as a representative for usdf and uh so, so that's that's where it started so can can you tell me it, it, this is when i've read the documents and stuff i i i thought the presentation was really well put together but what i don't really get a sense of is the the high level objective of 
this development model? Is it to produce an Olympian for 2028 or is it more about growth as a whole? So I don't think we've ever said it's to produce an Olympian, but we, we look at it as there's two pathways in this uh, development model. And uh, one pathway is, is competition and high level competition. So, so if you look at the, the document, you know, as you move up in skill or age, you're practicing, you know, five, 10 times a week and you're, you're supplementing with other trainings. And so that pathway is for the elite athlete. And the other pathway, you know, we're calling judo for life. It's people who want to do judo because they love judo, not necessarily because they want to be a, a world champion or an Olympic champion. And so the, the model is uh, for both, um, but we've never said, oh yeah, this is going to produce an Olympian, Olympic champion. We've just said that there's two pathways in this model and one is the elite athlete and the other is the, you know, you, you want to do other things in judo. You want to be a, a referee. You want to be a coach. Um, you know, you, you want to uh, be a, a judo club sensei. Um, so it, it, it's in, and it's supposed to be covering both sides of that. Okay, under, understood. I was, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, and the, and the reason why I asked is because I wasn't sure if, if, if the committees involved had a specific goal with 2028 in mind with the, with the, Los, the games in Los Angeles. Uh, that would be kind of neat, though, I, I, I would think. But uh, <laughs> so. With the competition path that you were just discussing, and, and I, I read, I, I did read the, the, the outline of that. I'm curious to know, will there be, will there be a, like a, a start to finish guide for coaches? I, I don't mean right now. I mean, eventually that will help coaches, you know, teach them how to run a class for a, high-performance athlete that is tr supposed to tr be training twice a day? Because, you know, for myself, as you brought up earlier, most of us teach judo the way that we were taught. I would not know the first thing about even attempting to coach a kid beyond a, you know, local or regional level. Will, will there ever be a time when that uh, those kind, that kind of guidance is provided by the American Judo Development Model, or or is that kind of thing just still left up to the to the individual coaches to come up with their own program? I think in the long term, we want to have you know the next level of of a coaching teaching program. Um, we haven't, you know, we're we're still working on what we have now you know we haven't launched the live seminar because of covid of course it's ready to go but part of that is we need to we call it train the trainers um you know so we're still focusing on basically stage one um, but i i believe you know if we want this to grow and we want judo to grow we're gonna have to to do that we're gonna have to um you know how do you how do you or what what are ideas for conditioning and, and what are ideas for improving technique of, of an elite athlete. I think we're definitely going to have to do that. And, you know, in our committees, both committees, we have uh, former Olympians 
uh, and national champions uh, that are part of this. So, you know, we, we do have that level of athlete uh, consulting in, in the committee. So now, uh, now uh, there's a great segue, by the way. Now that you're talking about the committees, can you give me a little bit of more information at a high level? What is the foundational task force committee and what is the coach task force committee? And I, I know you belong to the coach task force committee, but I really don't understand what those committees are or what their objectives are. Um, so the foundational task force committee was originally called the judo American judo development model task force and okay. because they're the ones who worked on the document. And so the, um, they completed the document and now what they're working on is starting a uh, business and marketing committee program. And so they've been doing surveys and uh, more specific surveys with successful dojos and they're trying to, and then I think now they're in the process of finding people to be on this new task force. Um, because part of, you know, starting new dojos is how do you do that? Of course. <laughs> you can't just run out there and, you know, rent a space and, you know. Um, USDF actually has a program for that but I don't think anybody knows, maybe a small handful of people know that USDF has a program to help you start a new dojo. And that's, it's uh, Hayward Nishioka's mini dojo program. Uh, oh. It's an excellent program. Um, you actually uh, learn how to, how to uh, create a um, uh, resume and uh, the documents you need to go to a YMCA or to go to a, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu school and make a proposal of, hey, let's start a judo class. Um, so it, it, that exists, um, but you know, we're trying to have something, or, or the, my understanding is they want to have a marketing and um, business uh, committee, you know, for all judo, which is a good idea because, I you know, that, that's, that's one of the things as a head instructor of Fresno Judo, I keep saying, you know, I wanted to grow our club, but we have bills to pay. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, I think a lot of people, that's what holds you back is, you know, you, know, you joined a judo club, it was already there. You have no idea how to start a judo club. You know, no sense they say, okay, this is how you start a judo club. But, and yeah, I did not know, I, I did not know that the USJF even, even has got, you know, documentation and guidelines to, to do such a thing. I think that's, that's good for the listeners to know, at least the American listeners. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is a really good program. He put a lot of work into it and, and it walks you through everything of, of being professional and, and, you know, how to, how to uh, start it up. And, the other thing I don't know if people know is USGF has grant money and I don't think people apply for it. You know, if you apply for a, a grant, maybe to buy mats or something, maybe you can get a grant and, and help start your dojo. I don't know if USA Judo has that or USGA, um, but I, I know USGF, you know, that's, that's one of the functions of USGF is supporting 
clubs, but uh, you can you can apply, and I believe you know that there's funds for that. With regards to the USJF, the USJA, and USA Judo, does I know all of these these uh, committees are made up by members that that span all three of these judo organizations. Do the organizations do, do the organizations themselves focus on specific things, or is it? I don't know if I'm asking that question correctly. I, I'm I'm curious if the USJA, or I, I should say in your case, does the USJF as an organization have certain areas that they are focusing on with this development model, or is it just really cross-collaboration? It, it's cross-collaboration. I mean, in my committee, I don't know about the other committee, but in my committee, um, we have, <clears throat> we call it pre-work, which included the uh, foundations of coaching, um, we have the live seminar and we have the resources. And so those, we had our meeting in Colorado Springs um, in August of 2019. And Chris Snyder, who was the USOPC coach development chair, he was the one who ran this meeting. Um, and at the end of the meeting, he divvied up, he, he told us, okay, this is what we need. And, and so, um, on the uh, pre-work, uh, Chima from USJA is heading that up. On the live seminar, I'm heading that up. And on the resources, um, uh, Ari Miller from USA Judo is heading that up. So we, in our committee, the lead people under those three areas, it's one from each organization, but we're all working together. Now, the coaches uh the coach task force committee that you're a part of can can you tell me what that is about and, and what the objectives of that committee is so the original objective i believe was <clears throat> to try to have a uniform teaching program of judo across the united states and, and the way it was told to me was you know if you start judo in california and you move to new jersey that the instruction would would uh, the foundational instruction would be similar um, through this program, and so originally we were saying, okay, this will be a coach certification program um, accepted by all three organizations, and and the original idea was that after we develop this, each organization would take it and administer it, um, and in the way they wanted to. You know, we would all charge the same fee, but it, this whole thing is evolving as we go along. And so it's, it's changed from uh, giving it to each organization to do what they want to, you know, we're, we're going to continue working together. And uh, rather than make it a coach certification program, because, you know, we're not focusing on, on coaching on the side of the mat. Um, we're we're focusing on how do you be a coach in a dojo and how do you how do you be an instructor in the dojo i think more than in a competition situation so so we agreed to um not make it a, a coach certification but make it more of a you know a, a teacher in the dojo program and then and again it's going to grow from there this this keeps evolving and 
So the original intent has evolved over time. So the, so the original intent was to standardize how like judo techniques are, are taught. That was the original intent. Yeah. I think more so in the beginning, we wanted how to teach beginners. Okay. um, In a standardized way. Is it safe to say that that's not the direction that the, that the task force will be going or, or am I wrong about that? Yeah. To be honest, I'm not sure where we're going to go. I'm not sure, you know, is, is the next step going to be the same people or is it going to change people? You know, because one, one of the things is USGA has a, has a new president, um, USBF, we're having elections next month. Um, you know, the, the leadership could change in, uh, you know, I may not be the coach too, with the leadership, cha- if, if the leadership changes or doesn't change, you know, it's at the discretion of the president. And that's one of the things is the presidents, you know, it's up to them as far as who, who the members are of the committee, because we're representing our organization. Of course, of course. Yeah, I, I guess what I was wondering, I was just kind of wondering out loud is, is would there be some kind of a program saying, you know, this is how you do Ogoshi and we're expecting you to do Ogoshi in this way? Was that ever the, the goal at some point so that we have a standardized way of teaching judo techniques? Or is it more along the lines of a standardized way of running a dojo? No, it's more of a standard wi- standardized way of teaching the first few techniques of judo. Okay. Um, and, and I guess more importantly, the order of teaching the techniques of judo. What do you think, uh, as, a, as a sensei, what do you think that order should be? The, the order, it, it's Hizagurama, Sasai. Um, it could be Deashibarai. So we're, what we're saying is, you know, for little kids, six-year-olds, teach them the Ashibara a little bit later because when they're a white belt just a few weeks on the mat, the foot sweep is more like a kick than a foot sweep. Yeah. Um, and then and then we're going to Ochigari, Osopagari. Rather than teach Ukigoshi to a little kid, teach them Ogoshi because they won't know the difference. In an adult, you can probably show them the, the nuances. Um, and then Seonage. So, you know, it's changing the order of start low, work high. And so actually, the Hizogunuma, we're starting doing it on your knees. And, oh, okay. And yeah, Hizogunuma, I've done that before. So from Hizogunuma, then you're going standing. Um, and then from Hizogunuma, move your foot from the knee to the ankle and you have Sasai, you know. And, and so it, it's a progression of not, not as much, uh, well, equally, teaching Tori how to throw, but teaching them also how to be uke. Of course. And that's what's important. Let, you know, how do we teach them to be uke without scaring them off, right? And so if you're teaching them seonage on day one and you throw them with the seonage on day one, they may not come back. Right. You know? and, right. and I'll be honest, when, you know, when I learned judo, you know, the order was osotogari ogoshi seonage. That was, right. that was what, and, what it was for me. And even when I started teaching, that's what I taught. And I, I remember one time I was teaching uh, two police officers, Osotogari, 
And one guy, his leg was planted on the mat, the uke, and Tori, when he did the reap, uke's knee went out, you know, and they never came back. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, also Togadi, it's a scary throw if you think about it. Oh, know, it's devastating. That, yeah, it's, it can be that that very backwards fall. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, let's start. Let's start a little bit lower. Let's let's do Kiba Guruma from the knees, then do it standing. And and really, you can control that fall. You're holding the sleeve as they come around, right? So um, you can guide them a little bit more than you can on Osotogari because Osotogari they're falling away from you, not not around you. Right. So, right. And you know, and the so the progression. Yeah, a lot of kids, they can't, in adults, they can't even do a forward roll. You know, that's one of the things in, in today's world is kids don't run outside and play and roll on the grass. No. We get so many kids that it's difficult to them do a, a forward roll. But it, it's difficult to get kids to do a forward roll because they didn't, they don't do that. And just trying to get them to do it on the mat, is, they're very, very scared. You know, they stiffen up. And so what we want is, you know, start teaching them their back falls, their side falls, then do the he's a good side. And then get them comfortable with the mat. You, in the same, same way, start teaching them mat work. You know, don't rush the throws. I mean, teaching them a pin and how to escape a pin, teaching them how to do a turnover. You know, it's very, very safe. 100%. Yeah, I agree. And it's still judo. It's still judo. It's judo. And you're getting them touching the mat, getting used to the mat, right? And so in addition to just teaching Ukemi, you know, start showing them some some newaza, some basic things. You know, just showing a kid to do kesagatame and then escape it, you know, that's a big win. That's a big win. I agree. (laughs) <laughs> for a little kid and um yeah we don't have to rush doing ogoshi we don't have to rush doing sanage so get them used to the mat then then get them doing for, rolling just you know forward rolls not not ukemi just rolling get them used to that motion and then change it to ukemi doing zenpo kaitan you know and then teach them ogoshi and teach them Sewanage. You know, so I, I think we try to teach all the Ukemi in one night or two nights, and then we try to get them throwing, you know, Osotogari, Ogoshi, Sewanage too fast. And, uh, you know, it's scary. Falling is, is one of the, you know, innate fears that we have, right? Uh, absolutely. And here we are, we're, we're trying to get these kids to do something that you know, and even for an adult, you know, you've seen an adult, we're trying to throw them and they're stiff as a board because they're, they're afraid. And, you know, that's our fault. That, that's because we're not teaching correctly. Uh, we're rushing it and, and we just need to slow it down. And, you know, the guy that really influenced me on that is uh, Shintaro Higashi. Um, yes, he, had, yeah. uh, he had spoken at a USGF meeting and, and he talked about <clears throat> how he, he took over his father's dojo and he went from 30 members to 200 members. And what he did was, and I think it's an adult club. I don't, I don't think there's kids there, but what he did was at six months of Nawaza before they throw, you know, so they really get comfortable with the mat. They get conditioned and in shape 
and then they can they can learn how to fall. That's really interesting. I've I've advocated for a um a, a bigger nawaza focus for adults coming in because well it's it's no secret that you know when we when we look at Brazilian jiu-jitsu they they seem to have found a a, a really, for a variety of reasons, they seem to have found a pretty good way, a, a great way to keep people engaged in doing what is, and I, I don't mean this disparagingly, but you, you go to a beginner jujitsu class, it's basically the same exact stuff that you would learn at a beginner judo class. A lot of, a lot of the more advanced stuff in Brazilian jujitsu, you, you typically, you, that you would not see in a judo club, but, but the basic stuff, it's it's the same and 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 yet this basic stuff is is drawing a a, a a demographic that I think judo loses out on and I I think starting from the ground up is a is a great way to go about it I, I don't know about six months without throwing but but certainly a month or two I I don't think there's anything wrong with that yeah and, and you know it's um... I, I always say this. I, I say <clears throat> judo is so much better than jujitsu. You know, judo came from jujitsu, and then Brazilian jujitsu came from judo. And you know, Brazilian jujitsu has judo's nawaza plus, but judo has throws. And how many times do you get a jujitsu student who comes and oh, I want to learn judo? And the reason they come is they want to learn throws. Well. You know, if we took them from a beginner and taught good techniques, um, Nelwaza techniques, and work our way to Tachiwaza techniques, you know, you're going to take that person who may have done jujitsu. They don't need to go to jujitsu because they're doing judo and they're doing the grappling and they're throwing. But if we teach it properly, they'll stay, you know. And my other thing is, in the Nawaza side of judo, I think, I think so many instructors are limited in their knowledge, right? They, they know, well, let's use Hachiwaza, for example. I think some instructors, they teach 10 throws, maybe teach seven throws, mm-hmm. and that's their comfort zone, you know? And <clears throat> judo is so much more interesting than that. There's so many different throws. And, you know, I tell my students, you know, we're going to expose you to these throws. You don't have to master them, but I want you to know them. So if someone does this on you, you know what they're doing to you. You know, you're going to master a handful of throws. You're going to have your favorite throw, but I want you to be familiar with other throws. And, and so, and Nelwaza is the same thing. You know, Nelwaza is, is a lot of fun because you can do so many things. Um, you know, you can just in pinning, you can transition from pin to pin to pin, you know, you can transition from a pin to a choke to an arm lock. There's so many things we can do, but unfortunately, a lot of the instructors, they only know what they know, and they're not willing to go take a class to learn more judo, you know. It's, there's so much to judo that we should be teaching people, and judo has so much to offer, and unfortunately, you know, this is what I know. This is what judo is. That's what my instructor taught me. And, and you know, even going back to Misty Momura, he used to go back to Japan just to go check out judo in Japan and right. come back and teach us. 
and, you know, and even after big tournaments, it was like, okay, we're going to change our training. You know, and we had to train harder and, and he would change it, you know, to, to make us better. Yeah. And, you know, but he, he was a student of, of judo. And I remember one time he said, I'm going to go and, and go check out the level of judo in Japan. And he did, he went and, you know, and comes back and he has new ideas for us to do. And, and you know, it was an amazing thing. And I, I just, I'm, I'm very passionate about, I, I truly believe judo is better than Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We just have to have the knowledge, you know. Um, when we were in Colorado Springs, I, I took some things. And one of the things I took is I, I have a list of all the techniques that I teach, tachiwaza and nawaza. And I showed it to Chris Snyder and he goes, hey, I have the same thing. And for his sport, he, he has all the things he teaches. And, you know, he was saying all coaches should do this. We should, we should have a list of what we know and what we teach, you know, and, and that way <clears throat> we can have it organized so we can teach it and then keep adding to that list. And, and understand know, and the gaps that you have. Exactly. But I, I think so many of us were, were just in our comfort zone and, you know, it's, it, you know, <clears throat> I'm a higher ranking person, but I still don't, you know, every time Missy Ramirez showed something, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that. Oh yeah. You know, we're, we're just constantly learning and, and we have to have that attitude. Unless we have that attitude of let's keep improving ourselves as a judo instructor as a judo coach, judo is not going to grow. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. For, you know, for myself, I have probably over the past three or four years really tried to uh, expand my judo a bit. And I've come across techniques that I, that I ended up being pretty good at that I didn't really think I had in me. Um, and, and it's the, the process of, of pushing yourself to, to get out of your comfort zone, uh, allow yourself, you know, even for myself, I mean, I've only been doing judo 14 years, uh, compared to your 50, right? Your 50. Yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, but I'm always looking to challenge myself and, and expand my, my repertoire and, you know, whether that's focusing on, on throwing on my opposite side, whether that's, uh, just brand new techniques and, and not being afraid to, to, to make mistakes and, and to get thrown in Rondori and, and, and things like that. I, I think there are people out there that, that lose that sense and feel that they just need to stick within their wheelhouse. And sure, it's, it's fun. It's, it's good to stick within your wheelhouse. But I, I think we should all be aspiring to really master what we do. And, and that can only happen if you're constantly learning and evolving. Now, I, I got to, in, in light of this kind of conversation direction that we've gone, I'm curious to know, with the American judo development model, where do you see kata fi fitting in, in all of this? So if you look at the, uh, the model, it actually has uh, at stage three, um, consider kata as a teaching tool. And, you know, kata, if you've ever taken a kata class from Mrs. Shepard, she always uh, talks about how the techniques in kata apply to competition. Um, 
you know, and, and I've learned so much from her over the years, taking taking classes from her. Um, that's improved my judo, and, you know, my my randori judo, not just kata judo, because of the way she she teaches. And so, you know, um, I think uh, people need to look at kata as just it's a teaching tool to improve all of our judo, not just for kata, not just for promotion. We're putting on a, a virtual self-defense uh, seminar uh, in a couple of weeks. And, you know, a, a lot of what I learned uh, was Mrs. Mrs. Shepard um, for that. And, and so, you know, kata is, is good for self-defense and it's good for, for Shi'ai, for competition. Now, will there be, because cause I'll, I'll tell you for myself, it is very difficult to find any anybody to, to teach kata on a, on a regular basis. At least it is for me. I don't see any seminars. How are, do you envision that the idea and, and the attitudes toward kata changing? Because it, it has to change in order to, to be able to teach it. Because it's very, like I said, most clubs, they teach for sport, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it does make finding proper kata instruction very difficult. Maybe not out in California, but I'm telling you, I think for most places around the country, it's, it's a challenge. Um, you know, I think the, the number one thing is um, you're going to have to organize and, and bring someone to your area to teach a kata class. So... Here in the Central Valley, we're, there's two judo yudanchukais, San Joaquin Valley and Chuka yudanchukai. And Chuka, they do an annual kata uh, seminar uh, with Mrs. Shepard. And, and uh, I think pretty much I've, I've only missed one in I don't know how many years. Uh, you know, it's just when she comes, we just, okay, it's on the calendar. We're going to the kata clinic. But, and, you know, again, I, I know for USJF, um, there's funding for that. You can apply for funding to put a kata clinic in your area. Um, I don't know about the other organizations. Huh. Oh, I, I didn't know that. that that's, that's really great. Um, now, with regards to coaching and development and stuff, what does, what does the committees and the various people part of the American Judo Development Model, how do they feel about the adult demographic and trying to grow that because i i mean to me you know when you're talking about getting more kids in the club you're you're trying to convince mom basically in my opinion but when it comes to adults you 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 gotta the, the selling points have to be something different have is, is there any long-term goals in trying to in increase that demographic Probably, I would say, if you need an age range, 18 to 35. So in the live seminar, you know, the introduction of the live seminar is a PowerPoint presentation. And I, right now, I'm modifying that PowerPoint presentation for parents and uh, uh, new judo students in, in the adult demographic. And so the idea behind this, and, and this was part of our coach committee, Actually, this is Pat Burris's idea, which, we, you know, when he said that, I was like, oh, that's brilliant, because we need to educate the parents and even adult 
judo students about the American judo development model and why judo is so important. Um, because if we can educate the parents, hopefully then we got the kids, right? Because yeah. if, if the parents aren't sold, they're not going to bring the kids. Right. You know, oh, well, I want to watch this TV show. We're not going to judo tonight, you know, but if they're sold on judo, they'll get their child there. And so uh, Pat Burris came up with the idea that, you know, hey, let's let's do an education program for for parents. And so we're actually uh, working on that version um, for the Dojo Sensei to to do a short uh, PowerPoint presentation to educate them. You know, and, and part of that is is you can introduce your dojo, you can introduce yourself uh, in this PowerPoint presentation. And uh, so we, we haven't really worked out the details. I was talking to Keith Bryant yesterday um, so about some of these ideas. And um, so, it, you know, again, this is evolving as we talk about it, as we develop it. But it, I think it's so important. I, I think when Pat said that, it was like a light bulb went on that's brilliant we got to educate the parents and then yeah. maybe they'll become judo students you know in, in my club that's one of the things is uh, we have some parents who they're doing judo and, and you know i i have um an adult beginner judo program and my goal is to take these adults um through so we do a lot of drills we don't do a lot of free exercise but we do a lot of drills tachiwaza and nawaza so they're being exposed to these techniques and, you know, their uchikomi is pretty good. And when we throw a lot of time, it's, it's on a um, crash pad, you know, uh, so they don't, and I tell my adult beginners, you know, we have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, that's something that's very, very important. But my ultimate goal is for, for them to become brown belts, um, maybe help with the little kids over time become black belts yeah you know and I, I sort of envision it as the little league parent becoming a little league coach yeah yeah absolutely and you know you talked about we don't have enough judo coaches uh, I, I think this is something we we need to do is we need to have these types of programs of let's train the adults but let's not hurt them <laughs> yeah right and and so, like I said, in my program, it's a lot of drills. I, I teach them a lot of techniques. And, you know, we do a lot of review. Um, and then, uh, you know, they, they, they do get promoted over time. Um, and, you know, some of my, my parents, they're uh, uh, competing in tournaments. And, you know, they may not win, but they're having fun. Yeah, it's 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 a great it's a great experience to get out there and and, and compete. Mm -hmm. It'd be to me to me, you know, when you're talking about your recreational judo, just 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 stepping on the mat, you've already won, regardless of the outcome. That's that's kind of how I feel. Absolutely, you know, and then it's it just it, it is you know the support from the other parents and from their kids when they're out there, and you know, it, it, you're not a loser, you're a winner. No Absolutely, matter what. Yeah, uh, agreed. Agreed. Oh, will there be education on how to run a successful judo program? And, and this is this question is going more beyond um, 
on the mat coaching. This this is more along the lines of of dojo management and 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 you know I've heard some judo instructors. As a matter of fact, I think it was Pat Burris talk about getting grant money to help run your club and 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 things along those lines. Will will there be that kind of uh, information and education out there for for coaches? Yeah, so that's part of this, uh, <clears throat> what the foundational task force is working on now is uh, creating the next task force of the uh, uh, business and marketing uh, task force. And, and that's what I think their purpose is, is, is doing things like that. And I've spoken to Pat Burris and, and talked to him and, you know, he's a fountain of information on on getting grants for judo programs and you know, the, um, I, he has a student in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, who, uh, when I was uh, at a family reunion there, he was a fountain of information on grants also. It was, you know, so there is money out there. And I think uh, we, we maybe that's something, hopefully, that this next task force will uh, help educate people about. Well, you know, my, my biggest thing is is I want to get across to people that, you know, as judo instructors, we all need to continue studying. I mean, we, you know, I, how many judo instructors have read a non-judo coaching book? You know, and how many judo instructors have read a judo coaching book? You know, again, as like I said earlier, you know, a lot of instructors just feel like, well, I learned judo from my sensei and he's the judo god. And I know it all, you know, and that's very unfortunate. I, I really, really think we all need to keep learning and even, you know, coaching from outside of uh, judo, um, you know, read, read some of the famous basketball coach books or baseball coach books and, you know, learn about coaching uh, people, not just judo. That's a great point. I, I agree. Um, now, I, I do want to bring up one more thing. Throughout our conversation, you've, you've talked, uh, talked up quite a bit, the, the, the USJF, and talking about programs that I wasn't aware of. Could you take a moment to maybe talk a little bit about the USJF and, and, and maybe some of the things that the USJF does differently than some of the other organizations because yeah, like I said I I didn't know I, I didn't know a lot of this um I feel sort of I know it's, I, it's, <laughs> I, it's it's hard to it's I know it's hard to like you, you know there could be I'm so supposed many. to be representing all of us but <laughs> let, let, let me let me you know maybe you can let me answer the question and you can decide if you can what you want to do with it. Okay. And if everyone yeah. gets mad at me, if, if they get mad at me, they get mad at me. <laughs> well, hey, you, so, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a question. You, you know, if, if the USJF does things that are different, <coughs> you, you know, I, I think, I think my listeners certainly, uh, I mean, there's a lot, I got a lot. Um, they would like to know that because, because a lot of times, and this is all stuff I'm going to cut. You know, a lot of times, you know, people ask, you know, which judo organization should I join? I, and it's like, well, I think that the three organizations, I mean, there's more than three, but the, the three J organizations, they, they all service the, their memberships differently. 
and and quite frankly, I know the least about the USJF, even though it's older than the USJA and uh, USA Judo. Uh, I do know the least about it, so that's that's kind of why I was curious about you know things that maybe I I well things that I don't know, but but certainly other people may not know. Um, you know, so <clears throat> USJF is based on the Yudanshikai system. And the Yudanshikai system is uh, a, a group of uh, judo clubs, a group of black belts in an area. And, and, and uh, it used to be geographic, and you know, it's no longer geographic, but you belong to a, a membership of a, of a group <coughs> that works together. And so the idea is that things go from the national office to the Yudanshikais, to the clubs, to the, to the uh, individual members. And it's it's, and they've always talked about you know, in today's day and age we need to go from the national office to the individual members. And uh, one of the things USGF I, I think they're they're trying to get going is is a uh, uh, newsletter that will come up you know every two weeks or every month. I'm not sure how often. Um, a couple of them have come out from Mark Maranaka and. You know, the biggest thing, it, it, it's communication. And we have to, I, no matter what organization, we need to let people know, like what you're asking, you said, you don't know much about USGF. And USGF has, you know, the coaching program, which obviously we talked about. They have a teacher's program. And the teacher's program focuses on uh, uh, having lesson plans, having, um, you know, long-term plans for your dojo, which which really we should have. We sh we should be organized and and have plans to teach to be more efficient rather than just teaching off the top of our head. And and you know, um, there's a book out there that talks about uh, rotating curriculum. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, I have not. He's an author who who writes a lot of. Uh, uh, business martial arts business books and and the rotating curriculum is sort of an example of the USGF teacher program in that you you have a, a set planned curriculum um, that rotates and and I sort of try to use that for Fresno Judo where and you know for the beginners we have a set program that we use for beginners and for the advance, um, we rotate through uh, different techniques during the year, um, Tachiwaza and, and Nawaza. Um, but the teacher program, you actually teach a lesson in front of your peers and you're critiqued by the uh, instructors of the program. And, and you know, it, it does things like um, where you're positioning yourself or positioning if you have people demonstrating you know, do the demonstration in different angles and, you know, little tips like that, that make a big difference. And um, so USGF has that. And like I was telling you, the Kata um, and the, the teacher's program and the Kata program, I, I, I'm pretty sure if you apply, um, there's, there's some money um, from those committees to pay for clinicians to come and Put a teacher uh, clinic on, or put a kata clinic on, and you know that's that's one of the things that um, USJF. You know, I always hear 
people say, well, USGF doesn't do anything for the, for the membership. And, you know, part of it is, well, you guys got to ask. Right. <laughs> USGF isn't just going to say, hey, you want some money? Yeah, right. <laughs> you got to say, hey, we want to put a clinic on. Can we apply for a grant to put the clinic on? And, and uh, you know, it, it, you work with the uh, committee chairs, Mrs. Shepard, or I, I think it's still Mrs. Shepard. It might have changed, but uh, Mitch Colosio is the teacher's chair. Um, there's a self-defense committee in USGF, and same thing. If if you want to put a, a self-defense clinic on to certify self-defense instructors, there's funding for that, and and uh, you know it's just a matter of putting your uh, application in and and asking for the funding. Uh, there's scholarship money that USGF has for uh, students. Um, there's uh, opportunities to go to Korea or Japan for um, <clears throat> a couple of different uh, tournament and programs. Uh, there's funding for that also. So uh, it's sort of a, you, you got to ask, <laughs> you have to apply. It's, it's, again, that's fascinating to me because I, I didn't know. I am now I am not a member of the USJF, and, and if I were to become a member, it's not like I would be asking for bunches of money. But but it's good to know that um, that that's out there for 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 students and and, and coaches that that they, if they need some kind of assistance that uh, that the USJF does provide that. That I like I said I had no idea. Yeah, one of the one of the key points of uh, that we're trying to make also in the American Judo Development Model is that the more members we have, regardless of what organization, the more members we have, the more money we're going to have. And you know, the way we look at it is, the more money we have, the more we have to develop judo. And you know, for USJJF, it's clinics and local tournaments and for USA Judo, if they had more members, they would be funding their athletes more. But you know, if you don't have the money, you can't do it. Right. But of course. if we can grow Judo, um, you know, it, it's just it. We have to change what we're doing because what we're doing now isn't working. And if if we can become better instructors, have better programs, you know, <clears throat> there are so many kids out there who baseball is not for them, basketball is not for them, you know, but judo can be. Um, because, you know, a lot of these sports, it's like, you know, they can't hit the the baseball or they, they can't shoot the basket and they get discouraged and they don't get to play on the team, you know. But in judo, everybody gets to play, right? Agreed, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think judo I, – I, look, I, I love judo. I think it's great for kids. I think it's great for adults. It 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 certainly helped me uh, mature as as a man. And I'm talking about somebody who started in their early 30s. And um, judo was really critical as um, it, in my own personal growth and in development as a as a made me a better man. I, I absolutely stand by that. Which which is why I'm always, you know, when I'm on when I talk about judo as, as an adult and beginners and adult beginners and things like that, it's because I know. I know personally there's a lot of people out there that could really benefit in the same way that I, I that I certainly did and um mm -hmm. it, it's it's I don't I can't I've you know I've played other sports like I love basketball 
basketball never gave me any of that. You know, skiing never gave, gave me any of that. And other sports that I played never have given me what judo has given me uh, in my life. And, and that's big reason why I do the podcast to share that enthusiasm with as many people that's willing to listen. And, um, but I agree with you with, with the kids and, and the adults and anybody that steps onto the tatami. I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a life-changing activity. Absolutely. It is. You know, yeah. I have friends, lifetime friends from judo. I have friends, you know, around the, the country. Uh, I have friends in Japan, all from judo. You know, it's just amazing. So that's going to do it for my interview with Dr. Larry Sutsui. I am very grateful for his time, for him coming on, uh, it, talking with me uh, many months ago now. But uh, Larry, I'm sure you're listening to this. I, I appreciate your time once again. And he's doing a lot of great things out with Fresno Judo. He's, he's kept me posted with, with different ways that he's been trying to run his classes in the midst of, uh, of this pandemic, especially with so many restrictions uh, California has compared to Florida. Now, speaking of Florida, I think I can let this out of the bag now. I know I've teased this, uh, certainly the last episode that I had and the episode before that. But in case you haven't figured out, my next guest is going to be Dr. Roddy Ferguson. And just like with my interview with Larry, uh, this interview was recorded back in December. And I think you all are going to really enjoy it. I know people, at the very least in the United States and certainly around the world, are very familiar with who Dr. Roddy Ferguson is. He's been around the judo scene for a very long time. He competed in the Olympics in 2004. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He's currently a Rokudan in judo. And he runs Tampa, Florida Judo out in Oldsmar, Florida. So it was a very, very fun conversation. I really can't wait for to release it, but you're going to have to wait. And uh, uh, you're going to have to wait about two weeks because I'm going on vacation in about two days. I'm finally crossing off an item on my bucket list. I'm going to Vail, Colorado. I've always wanted to ski Vail. And all the years that I've been going to Breckenridge, I really had no idea Vail was kind of right down the road. <laughs> I would have gone to Vail instead. I've been wanting to go to Vail my whole life. So yeah, I'm finally going and I'm very excited about that. I'll be masking it up inside the airport and the airplane and in the rental car and really everywhere. So it won't be the first vacation that I've taken since this pandemic started. And I believe that the, the, that there'll be social distancing on the airplane, I guess. I don't know, but I'm going. So anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I am going to have an after party shortly. But for now, we're done for the judo section. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. All right, so the after party. Well, first things first, I wanted to announce to my listeners, not that it really impacts 
uh, well, it impacts none of you except for the ones that are local to where I live. One of the big reasons why there's been such a break over the past two months for me to not put out new episodes is because I've been house hunting and I finally found the house or my family or my family and I found the house and we are going to be moving out of the Tampa Bay area. Now, I could sit here and bore you with all the details as to why we decided to do this. But really, the bottom line is that at the end of the day, moving out of Tampa Bay is what's best for me and my family. Now, we're not leaving the state of Florida. We're just going to be moving up to the panhandle, but it's still about a five-hour drive away. I've looked around where I'm going to be living, and it turns out the closest thing closest place for me to do judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu is going to be in Dothan, Alabama. So that'll all give you an idea of, generally speaking, where I'll be living uh, in Florida. So I, I must say that my time in Tampa Bay over the past 20 years have been really nothing short of amazing. I love Tampa Bay. I'll always have ties to Tampa Bay, uh, in particular because I have a lot of extended family and certainly many friends here, uh, training partners, you know, friends outside of judo. I, I love this area. But like I said, I just felt like, or really my wife and I felt that it was, maybe we should explore our options and get the kind of house that we want to have uh, with the kind of property, with the kind of layout and everything. And basically the type of home that we bought is not a place that can be had around here for cheap. So I'm really excited about it. We're going to be uh, moving mid-March. I will have the Dr. Roddy Ferguson interview released before I move, but you guys should know that once I once that's released, that it's going to be at the end of February around that time. I'm probably not going to have another episode for another month unless there is something breaking that happens, and I'll always make time to do an episode for something that's serious. So there you go. That's the biggest reason why you haven't heard from me in a couple of months. Just the whole process of house hunting, getting documents together. You, I mean, we had to drive all the way up there just to look for homes, and we spent an entire weekend. And there, then there's been other things going on in my life at a more personal nature that I won't bore you with here. But, but this is really exciting times for me and my family, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Now, on the show front, because I always love talking about shows here. I got to say that there's been three shows that I've watched over the past year and they all kind of came around at around the same time or they were on TV around the same time anyway. Lately, I well, I late recently I finished Parks and Recreation and I finished The Office, you know, probably about a year ago now, and I'm watching this show called Community on Netflix. These shows were really brilliant. I didn't watch any of them when they were on NBC at the time. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk up The Office, and The Office was definitely great. It's one of the greatest shows on television. But for me, I actually preferred Parks and Recreation. I thought it was a better show. And, you know, one of the biggest reasons why I like that show so much is because the entire town was a part of the show in some weird way and such. And they were minor characters that just made that show really special. So yeah, I've been catching up on a lot of shows that passed me by 10 years ago, and I'm really enjoying them. Now, another show that I've been watching lately, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, 
I have been watching Star Trek, the original series on Netflix as well. And now, growing up in the early to mid-80s, I was a fan of the movies, you know, the movies that starred, you know, Spock and and Dr. McCoy and Captain Kirk. I love those movies, but I never really watched the show because back then I was into the Transformers. I was into He-Man, so I, I wouldn't like watch those shows as as a kid. It just wasn't for me. But over the past, uh, I'd say about two or three weeks, I've been watching Star Trek, the original series, and I got to tell you. If you can get past the 1960s hairstyles and the 1960s special effects, this show is really tremendous. And I can't think of another television show that I've watched that really speaks to the human condition in the way that Star Trek does, at least the original series. I've not watched Next Gen. I've not watched any of the other Star Treks. I mean, Star Trek shows. But I've really developed a great appreciation for what Gene Roddenberry did with Star Trek in the 60s and and a lot of the themes that those shows were about. Now, on the more up-to-date front, there's this, show, there's this limited series on Showtime called Your Honor. That's a tremendous show. If you guys haven't watched that, that show is brilliant. It's, it's starring... Um, Brian Cranston, and he, while he's not revisiting his role as Heisenberg, but he's definitely taking elements of that role and fusing them into this role that he's portraying as a judge in New Orleans. And it's really excellent and riveting TV. At least it is for me. I don't know how you all feel about that, but it's a tremendous show. The, the, the series finale is going to be next Sunday, I believe. So if you've got nothing to watch, and you haven't watched Your Honor, I would suggest you catch up on it because I think, I, I don't even know how they're going to end this show, but but it's been amazing. Now, another show that I've watched over the past two weeks, uh, which was really horrible, <laughs> is a show called The Castle, and I think that was on Amazon or or Hulu. I can't remember which one, but that show sucked. I really was optimistic about it because the show takes place in the same setting except 50 years in the future of what happened with the Shawshank Redemption so it takes place in the same town and it involves the same jail and they drop little nuggets every once in a while to the Shawshank Redemption movie but it was very disappointing I I don't really even quite understand what I watched but it was it was a tremendous disappointment I suggest that if you guys looking at that and curious about it, give it a hard pass because by, by the time episode six rolled around, I was thinking to myself, what the hell am I watching? But then I figured I was already pot committed and I, I would just, I just figured I'd just burn right through it and, and put it out of its misery. So I think that's all on the TV show front. I did see that new Wonder Woman movie. I thought it was horrible. It, it, it was terrible. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be woke and, and, and talk about the, the, the virtues of having a strong female character on screen and stuff. Wonder Woman, the first movie, was fantastic. I loved it. But this movie, it just fell apart. It portrayed the 80s in, 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 a, in, in kind of a way that I don't really quite remember. I mean, I don't know. The whole thing, Pedro Pascal you know, really worked hard with that character. Which, by the way, speaking of Pedro pa Pascal... Two two other shows that I got to talk about. 
The Mandalorian was a masterpiece. And I think I already discussed this in my last episode, but in case I didn't, it's the best thing the Star Wars universe has ever put out. Especially episodes 7 and 8 um, of The Mandalorian. They, they were just phenomenal. And the new show that they got out, WandaVision, I really love it. I'm digging it. And I guess what I really like about it is that they've gone through either the sequence of shows going through the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and such. And what I find humorous is that when I was a kid watching the Disney Channel, I used to watch those shows from the 50s and 60s and 70s because that's what Disney would would play. They would play like Leave it to Beaver and I think like My Three Sons and, and, and other shows. And I used to watch that because, you know, back in 1983, I was just so fascinated with cable. It was always it was back then for me it was either the Disney Channel or MTV back when MV, MTV was actually awesome. So let's see. Do I get anything else? I don't think so. You all take care. Talk to you soon.